Imagine a city. Old, of course. We've established this. The city is dominated by a cathedral, a river, and a university. The cathedral is almost always on the skyline, the river almost always at your feet. The university curls up around anything it can get its hands on and permeates everything else. Knowing this does not mean you know the place. You can list the bridges on your fingers, you can count the streets. But that doesn't mean you've come home. What is it to come home to a place that you don't know, that doesn't even know you? If there are ghosts, then they are not the same ones that watched you grow up. If there are demons, then they have no reason to take pity. If there is still you, you're becoming more and more of a stranger to yourself. This is the Elvet Mysteries, and I am your host, Livy Jones. Welcome to episode two, The City Itself. For me, I think whatever this strangeness is, it's tied in with this city and with this university. I found out that the old name for Elvet means something like Swan Island, and I wonder if the swan I saw during the open day is related to that. I knew it was an old part of the city, but I hadn't really thought about it being connected to anything. I mean... They say your life begins at university, but I was not expecting this. Before we get on to all that, though, and I know I promise no nonfiction, but my friend Harriet has been writing the best one-liners about Durham, and I just have to. So here's a little selection of them. The streets here are so small, they shrink into infinitesimal size. And you, too, shrink with them until nothing. You must resist the allure of your college parents. They will devour you. Geology acts as a cover for the study of occult sciences. The geologists are largely unaware of this. And finally... A Durham University student says Oxbridge into their mirror three times. The ghost of who they could have been appears. Okay, I'll stop. I just love them. I didn't think I'd find anyone with the same kind of interests as me, so it's a bit of a revelation. Um, That aside, I have a couple of tiny bits of housekeeping. Some of the emails I've been getting have not been very useful for the show. I mean, if you're ever in doubt, I'd rather be sent something than not, but I got six emails that just say, I saw a ghost, with no explanation whatsoever. A ghost where? How? Like, I saw a ghost. What good does that do me? And why are there six of you? And then there's another one that just says, and I quote, there's a crop circle in my crest which, if 
true is definitely interesting, but I need more for a story. I mean, if you saw the tiny Cress aliens, then maybe. Another one just accuses ghosts of stealing their avocados, then accuses their flatmates of the same thing. And no, I'm sorry, you cannot just send me a picture of a crow that landed outside your window and tell me it was definitely an omen or something. It's just a crow. Also, if you could stop with the emails telling me that the supernatural doesn't exist, that would be great, Jeremy. Like, I get it, you wanted to be a Ghostbuster when you were a kid, but now is not the time to fulfill your ambitions. Also, I got a message from one of the members of staff over at the classics department. Um, They were kind of concerned that the students may have been worried by some of the content of our last episode. So they left me an email. It says, In regards to the last episode of your podcast, I must ask that you inform your listeners that there is not and never has been vampires in the classics library, nor are there vampires in any part of the classics department. Vampires do not exist, and therefore have never existed in any part of Durham related to the classics department or otherwise. There are certainly no strange scratching sounds in the classics library either. It is a calming, vampire-free environment to study in. I hope that you will stop perpetuating misinformation in regards to the number of vampires in the department. There are none. Good day. I guess I should mention that while I don't want to speculate on the validity of people's experiences, that doesn't mean that there are vampires in the library or that something horrible will happen to you if you look at certain books in the reference library. With things like this, just because they're true for one person, it doesn't mean, I think, that they'll be true for you. I'm sorry that took so long, uh, but I'm going to give you over to a guest who's going to be reading the first story of the evening. This story is called The Boys on the Bailey. They were from one of the posh colleges along the Bailey, I never caught which one, or maybe they never told me. A group of boys, about eight in total, all of them the same. They wore chinos and blazers and red shoes. They joke, boarding school is mentioned. They talk about women. Just listening makes you want to fall asleep. I was never able to distinguish them. I tried, but I honestly wasn't interested enough to remember them as individuals. We seemed to have mutual friends, and I kept seeing them on nights out. I only knew them as the boys from the Bailey. They were just another group of lads. I was in one of the clubs one night when I decided to take a panorama on my phone. You know how it is with those? In the dark it doesn't pick up much and everyone moves so they become completely distorted. It looks ridiculous. I found it a couple of days later and I didn't even remember taking it. I could only figure it was from earlier in the night because Emily was in it and she's always been a lightweight. It was a bad photo, out of focus, just lights and blurring limbs. But in that photo were the boys from the Bailey. Four out of the eight. They were off to the left of the picture, the part that had the most life. Some strange bleaching or oversaturation had made them faceless. It was eerie. The next time I saw them, I was walking to my lectures. We passed each other on the street. I remember the faces photo, and for the first time, I really looked at them, trying to memorize their faces, commit them to memory. As I focused, it became clear there was nothing to memorize. Features slipped from me, shadows moved, their faces became made of nothing. They caught me staring, and my stomach dropped through the floor. I gave them a full smile and a wave. They made some joke and move on. 
After that, as if they were everywhere, I couldn't shake the feeling that deep down they knew. They seemed to be seeking out interaction with me. I began to talk to them more and more. I joked and looked as if I was becoming friendly. The one with the glasses kept being nudged whenever I was around, slight flicks of faceless heads that I could only assume to be looks passed between them. They thought I fancied him. He added me on Facebook not long after that. He'd chat to me. I'd try to be quiet, act like I just wasn't interested, or else found a convenient excuse every time he asked me to go somewhere. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. He asked me if I was going out that Wednesday and I told him no, knowing full well I'd be dragged out along with the rest of my flatmates. At 10, the pre-drinking started. Two glasses of Prosecco later and I'm convinced I want to go out. I'm sick of being scared all the time. I'm sure they won't be out tonight. Why should we always run into them? I was drunk when I saw him. He must have been drunk too. Hair and clothes must, red face, still no features, just spots of colour. I watched him drink. There's no mouth there, but the liquid vanished all the same. We talk outside. I can't really remember how we got outside. He couldn't hear me, I think. My hands are shaking. He's definitely drunk. Drunker than I am. I wonder how these things can even get drunk. I wonder what they are. I'm so lost. He, no, it, kisses me. Skin is almost tacky to the touch, mouldable. Protrusions, fake lips, brush mine. There's a kind of condensation around them. I couldn't even guess what liquid. I shudder, jerking away. I'm too drunk, way too drunk. I can't, I'm gonna get my friends. I'm not feeling very drunk anymore. I don't get my friends and I walk home alone. I shouldn't have done and I'm sick on the way back. I don't sleep that night. I needed a believable way to get out of this. I couldn't imagine what they'd do to me if they realised I knew. Thankfully, two nights later they're disguised as a set of typical university students gave me exactly what I needed. At 2.43am I got a message. It read, You up buttercup? Cause I am. Winky face. Followed by three eggplant emojis. I read it didn't reply for two days and eventually replied with haha what he never spoke to me again there is something i've been considering sharing with you it was my birthday not too long ago and i actually got a strange voicemail i've been in two minds about whether or not to air it because on one hand it's part of this ridiculous harassment i keep getting from this weird creepy girl on the other, it's part of a larger pattern of strangeness I seem to be experiencing. While I want to get to the bottom of this strangeness, let me be clear. I want whoever is doing this to stop. It's just not acceptable. Dearest Jones, my present to you is my voice. Let it sit with you like a cat who has her paws over a mouse. Let it sink in the way blood sinks into sand. Has it changed you? Have I made an impression? I hope so. I hope you can't sleep with the nightmares you keep having about me. I hope every waking moment is filled with the fear and the love and the awe. If this hasn't happened yet, wait. I know that I am worth waiting for. But this is about you, isn't it? Your birthday, the day you came screaming and gory into the light and about everything you've been since. I wish you happiness and that you may stand fearlessly in the face of inevitability. 
against what lurks in the dark corners of rooms. These are foolhardy things, and anyone sensible shouldn't entertain such notions. But what can I say? I'm sentimental. Have happiness in the knowledge that one day I will carve the names of gods into your flesh, and you will breathe ecstasy from a mouth made with two rows of teeth, that birds will drop from the sky, that we will become more than the disjointed parts of ourselves, and that one day we will rule the way the ancient kings used to. Know that the sex will be more fantastic than anything else in your small, exquisite existence. With love and other things. Your secret admirer. Whatever else this is or means, it's just not appropriate. Anyway, I've been thinking about the city recently. I can't make up my mind here. Sometimes it seems so much like home that I think I never want to leave. And then other times it's like I'm only good enough for the grotty little town I was brought up in. I don't know if you've ever noticed the trees here. If you walk down by Maiden Castle, the trees aren't right. The roots have twisted in an attempt to cling on to the uneven terrain. There are gaps, like twisted holes. I would have called them fairy doors as a child, but they look almost like mouths. I know there's nothing supernatural in this. I've just never seen it anywhere else before. There are other things. Uh, the way people look at me sometimes. Like I've grown an extra head. I don't know what it is that I'm doing. I, I feel so out of place next to these tall, well-dressed academics that I don't know how I'll ever be able to compete. Then there's times when I walk through town or down by the river and it's like I've always walked here. I'll catch a patch of light through the trees or a bit of bird song or just the way my feet sound as I cross Elvet Bridge and it's like the city has unfolded to welcome me home. I'm so in love with this place and so terrified of it. I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, how can I figure out what I saw if I can't even figure out myself? I should let our next guest tell you their story. Um, this one is called Second Year Housing. Jonathan wants to be as close as possible to lectures. Javon wants to pay as little as possible. Alan, close to the town. Divya didn't know what she wanted, but she knew what she didn't want. And that seemed to be most things. I just wanted to sign on a damn house. The housing crush was upon us, and while the university was urging us to be cautious, the people around us and the letting agents we visited told us another story. It's not your fault, they'd say, with a smile that was meant to be sympathetic, but definitely wasn't. Five-person houses are always the first to go. If you tried finding more people, then they'd show us a dodgy seven-person shack out on the edge of town. I was getting desperate. But somehow the others were refusing to compromise and still wanted a house that was close to lectures and town and cheap and didn't look like that, 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 or that. Never mind living with them after this, I could barely stand to be in the same room. I managed to find us a private realtor. She was a woman in her forties with pink lipstick, blonde hair pulled back into a ponytail, and a smile that seemed altogether too large for her face. All right guys, she trilled. Let's find you a house. 
The first house we saw was on the edge of Gate near Claypath. She unlocked the house and then stood there, not going in. We exchanged glances. Well then, what do you think? We, um, we haven't been in yet. She looked confused. What do you mean, go in? You know, we said, to see the house. A look. Something almost like fear crossed her face. Oh no, no, not with this house. You definitely don't want to do that. Not with this house. That's very inadvisable. I wondered for a minute if I was on some kind of hidden camera show. I felt like I was losing my mind. But how are we supposed to sign on a house we haven't seen? The realtor looked bewildered. Um, shall we move on to the next one while you guys think about it? For some strange reason, we went with her. She took us past Elvet and onto Church Street. She opened a window with a key and motioned for us to go inside. We looked at each other and Divya pushed open the actual door. We watched our realtor flinch in horror. Um, if you guys would like to come through this way, she squeaked as we walked through the door. If you guys would like to come through this way, and her voice got higher. If you guys would like to come through this way, she met us in the hall, her arms folded. The current tenants are in today, she informed us. The house has recently been decorated. It's very nice. We went into the kitchen where one of the tenants was doing something to the microwave. He was clinging to it. He was making small mewing noises. Stephen, he whined. Stephen, how could they do this to you? My flatmates don't seem to notice him, and are instead nodding in agreement between themselves. Isn't the kitchen well decorated? Aren't the appliances in good condition? I get the sinking feeling that something horrible is unfolding. Our realtor smiled too widely and offered to show us the bedrooms. The first door we knock on, one of my friends recognises the occupant. It's their college mother. The college mother's eyes are dark, glassy, like the surface of a lake. My friend is caught in her gaze. I notice that her face is wrong, elongated, and her teeth seem to stretch outwards from her face. She invites her in, and the door closes. We knock at another door, and the realtor pushes it open. Everything inside is coated with tiny white cabbage flies. There's a boy on the bed, reading a book. He looks up and tiny flies are coating his face, his open eyes. I backpedal out of the room. My flatmates are talking about how light and spacious the rooms are. We go into another bedroom where we are suddenly on the banks of the river. There is a creature of enormous size stood on the opposite bank, flickering its multitude of eyes and faces. My flatmates and the realtor prostrate themselves on the ground, their faces in the water. We find ourselves on the riverside the next day, our hair wet, tangled, full of strange weeds. Our nails are caked with dirt. We get cleaned up, go into a letting agent, and sign on the first five-bedroom house that is somewhat close, somewhat cheap, and totally normal. Uh, okay, um, it looks like we're coming to the end of our time. Uh, oh, I have a strange message left for me. Uh, I'm just gonna... Uh... Dearest Jones, you did not see me last night, stood behind a potted plant in tangos. 
Note that I was not following you, Jones. I had other business behind that plant, but I won't bore you with the details. I was wearing a jumper which also had a potted plant on it. Roots spreading out of its container and deep into the earth. Terracotta cracked and split. Stem twisted. Leaves begging for sun. For air. Things that we all beg for. Upon one leaf was a single aphid. Swollen green body with golden eyes and gossamer wings. In its insectile complacency, it was ignorant that a ladybird was there, clicking its mandibles. Soon it was going to devour the aphid that had gorged itself upon the sap. On the broken plant pot were the words, Fear the thing which is behind you. Fear what is unseen. I had worked hard on that sweater. I Right. I've had quite enough of that. It's one thing sending me bloody creepy messages, and bearing in mind that's still beyond the pale of what is acceptable, it's still creepy and wrong, but telling me that you're hiding behind fucking- In tangos. <sighs> behind a potted plant. Would you leave me the hell alone? Because if I do manage to catch a glimpse of you, my eyes will not be turning to oil or staring and staring because I will be calling the police. I've felt strange the last few days. I mean, it's great to have someone who finally understands, you know. Especially considering my flat likes to go on nights out without me now. Thanks, guys. Mm. Professionalism, yeah. That's a thing. I'm not sure how much closer I've gotten to actually solving anything. I mean, creepy sweater girl aside, I felt... Not so much followed or watched as noticed. An inability to slip into the crowd and vanish, as if I'm too aware of my own limbs. Something strange happened while I was stood on Elvet Bridge, too. I looked over onto Kingsgate Bridge and saw someone who looked just like me. I couldn't make out any of the details, but we were both wearing red coats. The same coat, the same shade of red. When I moved, she moved. We were like this for nearly ten minutes. Just mirroring each other. It was getting stormy and the clouds were strange. And for a second it looked like there were strings behind her. The girl in the red coat looked just like a puppet. Whatever's happening, whatever I'm getting closer to, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to figure this out. This has been the Elvet Mysteries. Thank you for listening. The Elvet Mysteries was produced by Kim Dean and Olivia Clark as part of Crow and Kettle Presents. It was written by Kim Dean. The voice of Livy Jones was Kim Dean. The voice of Occult Sweaters was Jordan Montgomery. The Boys on the Bailey was read by Grace Hogan and Second Year Housing was read by Henry Bird. Our original score, including the Elvet Mysteries theme, was created by Olivia Clark. You can find her on Instagram, at Olivia Clark Composition. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>